0: Father, we thank you for how great you are. We praise you for this time this morning. Pray that our eyes being fixed on you would carry over now as we seek to open your word together and understand who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you, and uh, if you're, you're using that, you can open it up to page 1,473, and that'll get you to Matthew chapter 5, alright? And over the last several weeks, we've been focusing bit by bit, piece by piece, through this section of what's commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teachings, And focusing on each one of these characteristics and kind of the pattern it walks through from first recognizing my spiritual poverty, being poor in spirit, and walking through bit by bit, establishing. And my prayer is, my prayer is that for each of you as we've walked through this and as we've read through this, and uh, Lord willing as you've memorized this or sought to commit this to memory... That it's starting to affect how you see day to day, time to time, how you respond to people, how you react internally and externally to situations that you face. And so Lord willing, as we continue into this and through this, God will continue to instill in us what we're to be, who we're called to be as followers of Jesus. So starting at, at verse 1, we want to read through this and understand and get to the point we're going to be today, uh, really in verse 7. And so starting in verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And today, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. If there's one thing I want you to walk away from today with, one thing, if you, if you don't take anything else away, I want you to hear this. Mercy has been given that we might give mercy. Mercy has been given that we might give mercy. While that statement may not mean much to us yet, my prayer is that as we think critically about this verse in Matthew 7, we will begin to see both the importance and crucial nature for this to be a part of the life of a follower of Jesus. Now, as we think about this, I'm going to hold up four specific words, and I want you just to think internally about what comes to mind when you think of these things. Okay? Okay? You think of that Now the reality of these four terms, we often hear them, we might use them from time to time, but do we really understand the depth of what they mean? Do we really grasp at the core of each of these as understood from Scripture, as understood within the core of what God has called a follower of Jesus, their life to be patterned after. How each of these fits intricately into that. And you see, what we often find is, when we think about mercy and grace and compassion and justice, we think about them very individually. We think about them in a separated way that often shifts our perspective to focus one at a time on one of these very concepts and the others get moved aside until it's time for that. Now, if you're anything like me, that makes sense. Compartmentalized. Okay, this is a situation in which I need to have mercy. Let's focus on that. Oh, I need to I need to exercise grace. Okay, I'm going to focus on that. Well, you know what? Maybe I need to have some compassion. Okay, let's just focus on that. Leave those, let's focus on this. And justice. Let's focus on that. But today as we think about all four of these, and I could probably add several more to this list, I want us to think about how not only these are defined, but more specifically, how they work together. And coming back to that main idea, mercy has been given that we might give mercy. What we start to see is we open up the scriptures and we start to get a picture of who God is and all that he's done. We start to see that God in and of himself finds perfect balance between all of these. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, there's a lot of distinguishing marks between how this plays out. And it can get kind of muddy and confusing when we cross those lines. And what does that look like? But as Christians, we should seek to understand if we're called to be like Jesus, if we're striving to become more like Christ, then we should be striving to become less of who we are in and of ourselves and more of who God in Christ has revealed himself to be to respond in a way to circumstances and trials and tensions in difficult relationships in the muddiness of life around us to consider how do I balance these things? How might these work together for the purpose of glorifying God? That's our mission, is it not? To glorify God? It should be should be our focus every day. And this would be a challenge. How many of us wake up every day and say, Okay, God, how can I glorify you today? And I'm going to be honest, there's a lot of days I struggle with that. I wake up with the first thing I think about, Okay, what do I have to get done today? What's my to-do list? What are the appointments I have to make? When do I need to be on time? What people do I need to make sure I connect with? What phone calls do I need to make? Where do the kids need to be? And so easily, our focus becomes on that stuff. And less about this. So I want to challenge us first off in thinking about... Is what I'm focusing on, is what I'm doing for the purpose of glorifying God, or is it for the purpose of glorifying myself, or my work, or whatever else may be around me? Because that has to be ground one when we come to think about these terms. The first thing I want us to understand, and we're going to be focusing primarily on mercy today, but my prayer is that as we go through this, you're going to see how these things relate really similar to each other. And the first one we're going, to, we're going to look at is these two right here. Mercy and compassion. Okay. And what I want you to seek to understand as we look at biblically, and we're going to look at some other texts to emphasize this, is that mercy is fleshed out when compassion is put into action. Mercy is fleshed out when compassion is put into action. Well, what do I mean by that? When you think of someone who's compassionate, what do you think of? If you were to search this, you could find all kinds... I found this really intriguing. You could find all kinds of tests... To tell you or help you determine whether or not you are a compassionate person. And most of these were very secularized questions. They had nothing to do with God or the Bible. They had no bearing weight upon whether these things were true. It was simply take this test and we'll tell you whether or not you are a compassionate person. Yet scripture gives us an insight a look into where we should look when we compare and ask the question, am I a compassionate person? In Psalm 103, 13, I'm just going to read these. It says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. In Psalm 116:5, it says, the Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. In James chapter 5, verse 11, it says, As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. What I don't want you to do this morning is get confused, as some people do, in thinking these two terms are the same. That somehow, if I'm compassionate towards someone, I'm automatically merciful to them. That somehow these two could be merged into one, because as we see even from James chapter 5, God is not simply full of compassion, and He's not simply full of mercy, but He is in and of Himself full of both. And that should pose a challenge to us. To say, how do we distinguish between the two? So often, we may have compassion towards someone's situation. Feeling a sense of concern or sadness. Maybe you empathize. So you're compassionate towards them. Okay? And yet, do nothing. Yet, that's where we stop. Now, if we want a more clear look at that very concept, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is telling the well-known parable of the Good Samaritan. And at the end of that, after this story, he tells of this man who is on the road and he gets beaten and robbed And there's people that just pass by on the other side of the road. And the Samaritan man stops. He cares for the needs of this injured man above and beyond what was needed. And at the end of this story, Jesus asks this question, which asks this of the lawyer who originally approached Jesus. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. In verse 37, he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This went well beyond simply having compassion on this man who is lying on the road helpless but bridged into action where maybe this man didn't deserve the help that was given to him. Maybe this man and his culture, some have speculated, had wronged and separated themselves from the Samaritan people. We don't know that. And yet, there was physical action that took place. A step towards not just feeling compassion, but extending mercy. Mercy really comes back to compassion fleshed out in action. But Matt, what about the person that I have no compassion for because of what they've done to me? Or the person who's wronged someone close to me? And I am struggling. And I would assume, and maybe I'm wrong, that if each one of us sat down and really thought about it, we could think of someone that comes to mind, if not multiple people, who maybe we struggle with this. We struggle to extend compassion, let alone mercy. Because of something they've said, or something they've done. And there's this tension that exists. And maybe even that goes a step further and you have struggled with thoughts go through your head wishing harm upon them. Or maybe something bad did happen to them and you said, they got what was coming to them. And yet there's this challenge. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Mercy. And that's not simply feeling sorry for them. That's not simply extending compassion, saying, I feel for you. It's being willing to step forward and do something about it. This merges into this this concept of struggling with tension with someone I I know or someone close to me. And the second thing, mercy is rooted in forgiveness. Forgiveness. Mercy is rooted in forgiveness. Now, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. If you have one of the few Bibles, that's page 1725. And this this chapter in... uh, The letter to the Roman church starts with Paul appealing to his Christian brothers and sisters to be a living sacrifice. And we could spend a whole month just on that idea of what it means to be a living sacrifice. But if we go down from there, in Romans chapter 12 to verse 9, he gives a challenge here that for the church, for the follower of Jesus... Should cause us to stop in our tracks and evaluate where we're at and what we're focusing on. Romans chapter 12 verse 9 says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful or lazy in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. I'm going to say that again because we like to skip over that. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Now we could probably just pray and in there and I say go home and read this all week and you will be challenged every single day. Because the weightiness of this text and what it calls us to as followers of Jesus is so countercultural. It's so outside of the realm of anything society would tell us is supposed to be the pattern of our life. And how easily when someone wrongs us or they wrong someone we love, we step back and we go, I've got to figure out a way to get even, even if me getting even with them is just holding a grudge. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to associate with them. I'm going to stand here as stubborn as I can be and not move. Yet when we live with unforgiveness towards those around us, Listen, listen to this, church. This is so important. When we live with unforgiveness towards those around us, it doesn't simply affect my relationship with that person. It affects my relationship with a God who's called us to exercise mercy. To live in a way that is countercultural, that says, I'm not going to view you through this lens, but rather I'm going to seek to see you with the same eyes that my Heavenly Father does. Because before I know it, lack of forgiveness trickles down to lack of compassion. Resulting in no desire for me to show them mercy at all. To give them what they don't deserve? No. No. I demand they get what's coming to them. How much greater our impact as followers of Christ when we can extend the type of forgiveness that leads us to treating people contrary to what they deserve. How great... And this is, this is so key. How great a reflection of our own understanding of what God has done in Christ for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, another challenge in the midst of this, and probably the most brought up one, is these two right here. And as we think about mercy and justice, there is a cultural tension that exists. Am I just to be merciful? Is that what I'm supposed to be? Well, what about, what about justice? Or am I just to be just? Show no mercy. Only justice. How do I, how do I do this? What does this look like? How do I balance these things? Micah 6-8. To rid us of any questions as to whether we're to be just, okay? I don't want to, I don't want to confuse us here. Micah 6-8 tells us, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? And to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. In a similar way, Proverbs 21.15 says, When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to the evildoers. The kind of balance needed here is one that goes beyond our personal skill set. Let me say that again. The type of balance needed here is one that goes beyond our personal skill set. And often requires the help of God's Spirit to guide us. But there are a few simple biblical rules that we can apply when we think about what justice is supposed to look like and how we balance this. So I'm going to give you two. Two specific rules when you think about how to balance mercy and justice. Okay? Number one. Don't let your idea of judgment... ...or your idea of justice... ...be rooted in appearances. I'm going to say that again because it's really hard for us to grasp. Don't let your idea of judgment or your idea of justice be rooted in appearances. In fact, John 7 verse 24 says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And Jesus here, in the context this is happening... There were people who accused Jesus of being demon-possessed because of what he was saying and what he was teaching. And Jesus is going, why are you judging by appearances? Do not do that. Judge with a right judgment. You see, they jumped to assumptions. They looked at surface level and they automatically went somewhere else they shouldn't have gone. And if that's your idea of justice, your perspective needs to change because it is not what God has called us to. That is not the concept of justice. What is apparent on the surface is not always true and should never be used as a standard by which we judge people. Even God said when appointing Samuel, or appointing David, I'm sorry, man looks at the outside appearance, but God looks at the heart. Don't assume you know someone's internal motive and personal conviction simply by what you see on the outside. Now, with that, does not mean we're supposed to be naive. And there's multiple scriptures we could go to that call us to guard ourselves, to be cautious. But to do so through the lens of scripture, not the lens of your own personal opinion or perspective. To come back to truth. And that brings us to the second rule that we should follow. Biblical rule. Don't administer justice or mercy based on social pressures. And two well-known passages I want to quote to reemphasize that. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You want to get to the core of who someone is? Look here. And like it, Second Timothy three sixteen, all scripture is breathed out from God. And it doesn't stop there, but it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. And for training in righteousness. So how do we find balance between justice and mercy? Where do we go? Parents, you would know this struggle when your child defiantly disobeys you and you go, what do I do? Because I really want to administer justice right now. And yet I want them to understand the same mercy that God has given me. And as parents, you're called to discipline your children To train them in righteousness and equip them for that. And yet at the same time, to exhort them, to show them what mercy looks like. And I don't have any magic formula for you today. Because this is the only place I could tell you to go. And I'm still learning a lot about this on my own. I could sit with you for hours and talk to you about the struggles that I have as a father to reveal and show the love of God and His mercy to my children. And yet at the same time discipline them in a way that they understand what it looks like to submit to authority in the same way that I desire to obey the commands of my Heavenly Father. And so as we think about that tension and we wrestle with that, I bring you back to the only place I know where to go. Don't look outside of this for instruction in that. Don't look to social norms or social pressures to say, this is what this should look like and you should follow after this philosophy and what all takes place here. Always cushion this, come back to a place of truth. Because either one of these blindfolds can hinder us from seeing clearly as to whether we need to offer mercy or execute justice. God administered justice through Christ at the cross. Do you understand that part of the gospel? That we're dead in our sins. We're deserving of death when i say mercy is given so that we might give mercy i'm referring back to the sacrifice of jesus because justice was done through christ so that you could have life the word of god encourages us to see situations needing justice or mercy clearly but through the sense of its teaching rather than through those of social pressure or human nature. And this leads us to the reality of our last bit of understanding and seeking to understand mercy. And that is that mercy is never deserved. Mercy is never deserved. In a story once told, a mother uh, was said to approach Napoleon seeking a pardon for her son. The emperor replied that the young man had committed a certain offense twice and justice demanded death. But I don't ask for justice, the mother explained. I plead for mercy. But your son does not deserve mercy, Napoleon replied. Sir, the woman cried, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Well then, the emperor said, I will have mercy. And he spared the woman's son. How many times in our life do we think the words, they don't deserve to receive mercy? They don't deserve a second chance. We must be careful, though, not to turn this passage into something it is not. This is not communicating that in order for God to show you mercy, you must be merciful. And I want to emphasize that about Matthew chapter 5. We need to be really careful how we understand that. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Hear this, God has already shown you mercy when he sent his son to die for you. Jesus is the model of what God's mercy looks like. The fact that you and I are here today and not completely physically dead because of our sin is an extension of God's mercy. But where this becomes challenging is do we really understand that to the measure that we can offer the same mercy to those around us? To those who've wronged us? To those that we struggle with tension? It is the power within the reality that we don't deserve mercy that should cause us to extend it. The statement they don't deserve it is exactly what makes it so powerful. Because you don't deserve it either. So, how do I become merciful? In a statement made by John Piper on this subject matter that really challenged me this week, he said this, The key to becoming a merciful person is to become a broken person. And congratulations, because whether you realize it or not, we are all broken people. Or we wouldn't need a savior. And this starts at the beginning of the Beatitudes, to see ourselves as spiritually bankrupt, poor in spirit, to mourn our sinfulness and how it has separated us from God. And allowing these realities to impact us to where we hunger and we thirst for righteousness Lamentations three twenty-two through 24 says the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new every morning great is your faithfulness the Lord is my portion says my soul therefore I will hope in him and the amazing thing is we start to understand that we start to understand God's not only extended mercy to us but he's offered us to be adopted as sons and daughters of the king to say i'm not only going to extend mercy but i'm going to give you life that's what grace is unmerited favor not just giving someone what they don't deserve But it's showing favor to them in a way that goes far beyond that. That's God's grace. So for the person who's merciful, what's the reward? Matthew 5, 7 says, they shall receive mercy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it reminds us that each one of us is going to stand before the throne of God someday and give an account for how we've spent this time on earth. No one's getting out of that. Every one of us will stand before Christ and give an account. God has already shown mercy to us in allowing us to still live. If we believe our sin deserves the payment of death, then God not punishing our sin as it is deserved is His extension of mercy. But when you stand before him at judgment, what will be revealed about what that truly meant to you? Will you be known as one who embodied the character of Jesus? Have you sought to show the same mercy to others that has been shown to you? And maybe you're here today and this is the first you've heard of this mercy Maybe you've consistently been challenged with the balance between these. Or maybe you haven't. Maybe you've never thought about it like that. And what you need to understand, whether you have been a follower of Christ for years and years and years, or this is the first time you're hearing this, to understand that none of us deserve life because of what we've done. If we've ever lied, we've ever stolen, we've ever deceived, if we've ever done anything outside of what who God is and His righteousness looks like, then we're in dire straits. And God said, I'm going to send my son that justice can be done and my mercy is extended that you don't get what you actually deserve. And then I'm going to go one step further and I'm going to offer you to be an heir with Christ in my kingdom. unmerited favor that's only found through Christ. So where are you at today? Do you struggle with extending mercy? Are you a person who demands justice without any mercy at all? My prayer is that this is a challenge for you. A challenge for us. It's been a challenge for me. And how easy it is to get caught up in the day-to-day and lose sight Of what God has called us to in Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is immensely challenging, and there's so much more we could do to focus time on this. And yet, Lord, we trust and know that you are God and that you have modeled this, that your mercy was extended in a way that we could never earn, that we don't deserve. Father, I pray that as we leave this place today that we can find hope in recognizing the mercy that has been shown to us but that that will motivate us to extend that same mercy or to not live in unforgiveness or tensions to be compassionate but not let it stop there to act out of that and to see clearly that you've given mercy that we might also give mercy. In Jesus' name.